Well, in-house, you grab your message notes if you would online. You can download the message notes off of any of our media outlets. And we're going to dive right into this. We're starting a brand new series today. And if I were to ask you this question, what model do you believe Jesus used to disciple his followers? Now think about it. What, what model would, did he use? Because I, I think it's vital for us to go back Look at how Jesus discipled his followers because let's, let's be honest, they changed the world. He started out with 12 that went to 70, that went to 120, and after the day of Pentecost grew to more than 3,000 and literally has changed the world. Jesus did it right. And uh, so what we're gonna do over the next three weeks is we're gonna dive into scripture and we're gonna be looking at how Jesus discipled his followers, how he developed their faith and how they lived out their faith. And we're gonna do this together as a spiritual family. So here's what I want you to do. This is a, a very simplified version of what you read about in the New Testament, but write this down on your message notes. What was this model? What did it look like? Here's a simplified version of it. Jesus, first of all, called people to first connect to him. Everybody shout this with me. First, to him, right? I mean, you can't, don't, don't get the cart in front of the horse. The first thing Jesus calls you to do is to connect to him, then connect with other disciples, shout disciples, right? It's other followers of Jesus. Why? What is the purpose? Is that together we live out our faith in this beautiful community. And this is Jesus's model. Uh, in fact, if you'll look with me on your message notes, online campus, do this with me too. Look at Mark chapter one, get your pen ready because we're gonna circle or underline a little bit here. Look at verse 16, chapter one of Mark, the gospel of Mark. As he, Jesus, as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, everybody shout Peter. Just so you know who we're talking about, it's not two different people here, Simon, Peter. He saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. Notice what they're doing. They're casting a net into the sea. That's important for you to understand because they were, what's the next line? They're fishermen. This is the family trade. This is the business. This is what they do. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to capture here. First of all, this means they are older teenagers, most likely they're older teenagers because they've already been through the age where they would have been chosen whether or not to be a rabbi's disciple. And because they're in a trade means they flunked out. Means that these guys were not the disciples of any rabbi. They've went into a family trade. They are older teenagers at this point. Uh, Peter is actually already married. And so they've gone on with their life. They're not a disciple of a rabbi. Here, Rabbi Jesus comes by. And what's beautiful about this is Jesus picks people that other folks reject. Jesus chooses people and, and we, we kind of segregate folks based on likes or dislikes or this or that or whatever stereotype we want to use. But Jesus doesn't. He picks anyone and everyone to come follow after him. This is for everyone. And, and notice what he says to them is he says, come follow me. Circle that. Circle those two words. Follow me. And then look at the next line, and I will make you fish for people. Underline that. I will make you fish for people. And I want you to stop for a moment and just let me break this down for you. Here's what I need you to understand. Before they started going to church, 
before they were baptized, before they uh, got involved in a religious community. I want you to understand what Jesus' first desire for you is before any of that. And many of you started coming to church long before you become a follower of Jesus. I get it. I'm glad you're here. But I just want you to understand what Jesus' number one ultimate desire and goal for every single one of you in this room and every single one of you online is Jesus wants you to connect to him personally. Jesus wants you to know him. He doesn't care if you know religion or not. He wants you to connect to him before you worry about church membership. He wants you to connect to him before you find yourself and your values uh, in the world. Jesus' first desire for every one of us is you connect to him. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He doesn't want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. You connect to Jesus First, and so let me ask you, have you come to the place yet in your own life, in this room and online, that you have made a decision to know Jesus? Are you following after Christ? I'm not asking if you're a Baptist, a Catholic, a Methodist, a Lutheran. I don't care about any of your man-made tribes. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? And have you come to a place where you've surrendered your life to him? And I want you to know up front today that God's number one hope and desire for you, the reason he sent his son Jesus to the cross and rose him from the dead was so you could connect to him personally, intimately for yourself. Jesus wants you to know him. And then I want you to understand this. When you come to Jesus and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand what true salvation will lead you to. God gives you a new purpose on life. It is no longer, life is no longer <clears throat> about your career alone. It's no longer about simply making money. It's no longer about seeing how many places you can visit or how many uh, jobs you can create or businesses you can own. It's no longer about how many followers you have on social media. It's none of the things that we value in the world. I need you to understand, all those things are fine. Nothing is wrong with them at all. But that's not your number one or your only objective anymore. When you become a follower of Jesus, notice what he says to these fishermen. He says, hey, I know you know how to fish. You can catch fish. You can make a good living fishing. But I need you to know there's more to your life than catching fish and putting money in the bank. I'm calling you to fish for people. And I need you to know that when you become a Christian, it's not just about you anymore. It's about you now working for the kingdom of God and your ultimate mission on, in life is not only to know Christ yourself, but then to be used by Christ to influence others to know your savior as well. And there's a work for all of us to do. And for some of you, it's just becoming more active in your career about not being ashamed of your faith about not living out a Sunday-only Christianity and making sure that people around you know that you are a follower of Jesus and not be ashamed of it. Others of you, he may do what he did to me, and he may call you out of one profession into another. He may call you into ministry. Not everyone's called into ministry, but we all do minister. We're all called to share the gospel with other people. And watch this, watch this, watch this. And here's a big thing that I think separates nominal Christianity from true Christianity. Notice the next line. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Everyone shout immediately. I need you to understand that when Jesus calls you to follow him and he gives you this purpose to make him known to others, you have to understand there is a sacrifice that comes with following Jesus. In fact, Jesus said it like this. If you want to come follow me, you must pick up your cross to come follow after me. And the cross looks different for everybody. 
Everyone's crosses looks a little different, but here's the one common denominator for all of us. It is going to be some sort of sacrifice for you to follow Jesus. It's going to be a sacrifice for you to go back to work and not be ashamed uh, to pray over your meal in the break room or, not, or, or to change your, your habits or to change some of the activities you're involved in because they don't align up with what you know God wants you, for your life. It, it may be a sacrifice. For some of you, it's going to be a sacrifice in the family. It's going to bring some tension when you come home and they find out you are now a follower of this Jesus that they don't support. And, and, and some of your friends, some of your friend groups are going to change. I just need you to know that following Jesus and making him Lord of your life gives you a, a purpose beyond a career. Now you are influencing people for Christ as an ambassador, but it also requires some sacrifice at times. But I promise you the reward in heaven is a lot more uh, valuable than any sacrifice you gotta make on earth to be a true follower of Jesus, amen? Here's the next piece I wanna show you. Look at what happens next after verse 18. Verse 19 says, and going a little farther, he saw James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Everybody shout James and John. Now who has, who's with Jesus at this moment already? Peter and Andrew, right? Simon and Andrew, they're already walking with Jesus. And here's what I want you to notice. Jesus has got his, these boys with him and Jesus never at once says, guys, you got this. All you need is me and you can go tackle the world. Here's what I want you to capture. While he's got Peter and Andrew with him, he finds James and he finds John and he says to James and he says to John, you come follow me. And they had to make a sacrifice. And immediately, watch this, they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Now, that's pretty fun right there because they didn't just leave the family business. They left daddy in the boat. That was a sacrifice. Come on, somebody. Hey, dad, we're not even finishing our shift. We got to go follow Jesus right now. So here's what I want you to notice. Jesus did not have Peter and Andrew go follow him by themselves. He, Jesus, intentionally put them together with other followers of Jesus because here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew, boys, I'm not gonna be with you forever. I'm about to send you to go change the world and you can't do it by yourself and I'm going back to my father. You need one another. And so God himself created community for these disciples to live out their faith. Look at Mark chapter three. Verse 13 says this, Jesus went up on the mountain. He summoned those that he wanted and he called, he, they came to him and he appointed 12 of them and he gave them the name apostles. And what did he do with these 12 that he gathered to himself? He sent them out to preach. Now, here's what you're going to learn over the next three weeks. As we look at the disciples path and the reason we're doing this whole series is I want to be a good follower of G Jesus and I pray you do as well. Our church has got to go to develop disciples for Jesus. And if we're going to do that, we need to go back to his model. And here's Jesus's model. Number one, he calls people personally to come follow him. You can't do that in a group. You got to do that. It's an individual choice. You and Jesus alone got to make this decision. Will you follow Christ? When you do, it's going to require some sacrifice on your life. I just need to tell you that. But he's going to give you a purpose beyond anything you ever dreamed. But to live out that purpose, you don't live it out alone. He calls you with other believers. And so now we live in this circle of believers, this family of believers. <clears throat> and notice, and you'll, we'll get deeper into this next week. But Jesus would preach to the crowds and he would pull this group of 12 
that later became 70, that then became 120, and then on the day of Pentecost became 3,120, and then a couple of days later became 5,120, and then by the end of the book of Acts changed the world as we know it. But what would he do? He would take them out of big group and put them in smaller groups, and Jesus would personally teach these disciples, and then he would send them out to go. And what you're going to see in this model is exactly what we're trying to do here at CPC is that we need this moment right here where we're, our soul is fueled up. How many of you got a little fuel in your fire today or a little fuel for the fire of your soul this morning while we were singing? A thousand people singing out together this morning. How many thought, man, this is pretty, pretty powerful this morning in here, right? You need this. I need this. But this is Sunday morning. We've got a week ahead of us and we got to have a little more than just fuel on the fire. Now's where the foundational pieces start coming in. And, and so what I'm going to challenge you over the next three weeks is understand that God's not only called you to be a part of a big gathering, he's called you to be in community with 10, 12, 15 other people that you can grow and get to know in the faith and, and whatever that looks like, serve teams, small groups, whatever it is. But just know this, we're supposed to be building connections not getting lost in the crowd. And this is all how God uh, disciples us. This is the model Jesus used. And we're going to look at this over the next few weeks. Um, let, me, let me tell you that um, God has created you for two specific families. Write this down. He has created every one of us to have a physical family. There's something powerful about the physical family. Genesis 2, man should not be alone. He created Eve and he created the first marriage and then the home. But in Hebrews chapter 10, we learn this. There's also a value of a spiritual family. So every one of us need a physical family. We all need a spiritual family. And I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10 this morning and dive into this a little bit. Why would Jesus gather his disciples into this small group that he could feed into? Why do we find this all through the New Testament? Hebrews 10 gives us the answer. Here's the why. And let us consider one another. Everybody shout, consider each other. Look at one person beside you and say, I'm going to consider you today. We're in this together, right? I'm consider one online. Just say, I'm here for you on, in the comments. Consider one another in order to do what? Provoke. Now, stop for a moment. How many of you are already naturally gifted at provoking other people? <laughs> How many know it's probably not in the right manner? Yeah, all right. Notice what the Bible says. We're to provoke one another to do what? To love. We're to provoke each other to love greater. And to do what? Good works. We're to promote love, but we're also to, to provoke one another to get busy, to work in the kingdom. Look at verse 25 tells us what we should not neglect. We should not neglect what? The gathering of ourselves together. Look at the person on the other side of me and say, I need you and you need me. Online, tell somebody in the comments, we need each other. As some are in the habit of doing, but notice this, underline this, but encouraging one another. When we come together, why do we work so hard to create an atmosphere of celebration here every weekend? It's because the scripture says when we gather, we should encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. How many believe that Jesus is going to come back one day? Now, none of us know when, 
And if you're following those YouTube theologians who tell you when he's coming, just because another political season's coming up, you need to switch channels. That's heresy, okay? And because another political season's coming up, everybody's fixing to come out of the woodwork. I'm prophesying here. Everybody's going to come out of the woodwork and tell you how bad the world is and how bad one side is and how the other side's got all the answers. And I'm going to tell you, no one's got the answers except Jesus. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. And we're not going to play that game, right? Because I don't want you to get caught up in, in the world systems. Here's what I want you to do. We all know the Lord is coming back and we're getting closer and closer. And the Bible says, while we're getting closer and closer, the one thing we need to do more and more is be together. We need to spend time with other believers. Why? Here's some benefits. Write this one down. For one, we need each other for accountability. And how many know we all need a little more accountability? Amen. You know, accountability is one of those fun things you bring up from the stage and everybody's eyes light up and everybody shakes their head and nobody says amen. <laughs> Unless you say the person beside you needs the accountability. How many would agree to that one? In the first service, I had a husband holler out, yeah, she does. It was something like that. I was like, yeah, it's a married man. He's in trouble. Here we go. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine says this, two people are better than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach, up, can reach out and help them up. But if someone falls who's alone, they're in trouble. This is why Jesus called us to gather. This is why Jesus, out of the gathering, called us to co connect with 10 or 12 other believers. Get to know other people. Live life together in community. Why? Because we, if we fall down, someone should be there to pick us up. If we're hurting, someone's there to comfort us. Look around this room today. You can't do much connecting in a room this large. In a church that runs a couple thousand people on the weekend, you can't just connect with anybody and everybody. But everybody could connect with someone. And so we got to find those opportunities. It may be a serve team. It may be a small group, but you've got to find ways to connect. We need one another. Look at this verse on the screen. Galatians chapter six, verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone's overtaken in any wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual, get on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and tell the world how big of a heretic your brother in church was. Doesn't say that, does it? But I see this daily on social media from Christians. In fact, I recently deleted my Twitter account because I got sick and tired of seeing Christians or people who claim Christianity using their Twitter accounts just to talk about how bad other Christians were. It is not your job to go spread everybody else's faults all over the world. You got enough wood in your own eye, brothers and sisters, to pick up the two by fours out of your eye before you get to splinter. Jesus said this out of someone else's. Jesus said, I did. That's a Jesus quote. All right, here we go. You go look in the Bible and find it and come tell me to you next week. Here we go. Put that back up there. What are we to do in the church? This is biblical community when it works right. We restore such a person. How? Say this line with me with a gentle spirit. This is the beauty of spiritual. Community. I love this Zambian proverb. Look at this. When you run alone, you run fast. When you run together, you run far. 
There's something powerful about living out our faith together in a community because you need someone there who's challenging you while you're running because living our Christian faith is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you run farther in a marathon if you've got a team who runs alongside of you, handing you water cups, cheering you on and saying, you got one more mile, you got one more mile, you got one more mile. And that's how the church should be. We should be the ones encouraging one another all the more. A soldier goes into battle, not alone, but in a battalion or a platoon. Let me give you a beautiful illustration of this uh, in the life of one of Jesus's closest friends, Peter. Peter is not just in his discipleship group. He's in his D group. He's in this inner circle of three that was personally mentored by Jesus. And the night Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Peter died publicly denounced Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. How would you feel if I went on social media today and publicly denounced my faith in Christ? Would you let me preach next Sunday? You better not. But here is Peter publicly denouncing Jesus. When the rooster crowed the next morning, he was grieved and convicted of his sin. He loved the Lord. He just got caught up in all the fear and the emotions, Jesus being arrested and all that. You know, you need to know the whole story before you judge somebody, don't you? Ooh, that's another sermon, different day. Here we go. <clears throat> Here's what I want you to capture. Do you know where Pe the Bible says Peter went to when he sinned? Before he went fishing. I know where I would have went. I would have went in isolation. I would have went and hid. You know where Peter went? The next time we see Peter, he's in an upper room locked with the 10 other disciples that he had spent three years with. He went to a small group of believers that he's been living in community with. You know what you don't find one single time when you read the gospels after the, after, uh, the cross? You never read one time where any of the disciples publicly shamed Peter for his sin. You know what they did with Peter? They grieved with him. And then, like my brother said, Peter said, I got to go fishing. He, I mean, after Jesus, after they found his tomb empty, he's like, all that boy could take. He felt so guilty. He felt so, and now Jesus can't find his body. They say he's gone. The women say he's resurrected. He says, I'm going fishing. What did his small group do? They went fishing with him. When Jesus showed himself to Peter the next morning on the, side, on the beach, his small group of disciples was with him in the boat. He didn't even have to fish alone. They were together. And then Jesus restored Peter and sent him back out to preach. Amen? There's value in this. There's accountability. But not only accountability, there's support. There's support. Write this down. There's support that we get together. Or from one another. Uh, I want to show you a picture. How many, how many know we got a geese problem here at our church? Don't blame me for any stuff that gets on your shoes. We're doing everything we can to get rid of them. But they won't go nowhere. They love this pond or lake in front of the church. And so, you know, a couple times a year, man, we, we get a, we, our church grows <clears throat> from a geese population. Here's how geese fly. Geese fly in a formation like this, a V. And here's why. Science says they, they're 71% more efficient because they fly together in a V than if they flew alone. 71%.
When the leader gets tired, the leader goes to the back of the line and everyone moves up one position. And they do this over and over and over again. When one goose gets sick or injured, it goes to the ground while the rest of them fly off, except two, watch this, this is so amazing. God wired this in their DNA. Two geese will leave the formation and go to the ground with the sick goose and stay with the sick goose until it's ready to go get back in the formation and they stay together in community and then together they go back and get back into the group. And how many believe that if God could wire a bunch of geese like that, that's how much more should we, the church, be there for one another in accountability and support, amen? This is why we live out our faith together. Look at Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Shout the good of all, especially those in the household of faith. Let's look, what does this look like? Galatians chapter 6 also says this. Let's throw the verse up on the screen. Verse 2 says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Somebody shout, carry each other's burdens. Look at Romans chapter 12. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. You know, uh, ever since COVID, the scientists tell us uh, that we have an epidemic of loneliness. And in America alone, 21% of Americans ate their meal last night alone. Uh, A third of Americans have 25 less friends today in their life than Americans had just 25 years ago. Uh, One one researcher said this, we we have a a world of friends on Facebook, but very few friends in reality. Uh, One British study said that since COVID, loneliness has been the uh, lead implicator toward depression, and in their, in their research, the belief of the number one cause for suicide in those aged 35 and under, which we all know has risen dramatically the last three years. Here's what I need you to understand. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave the antidote to loneliness. And it's people living out their faith together in a biblical community that loves and cares and shares for one another. Some of you have been hurt by a church. Some of you have seen Christians not do it the Christian way. And I apologize to you for that. But please do not. Please do not reject Christ or his model because of a few sinners who did it the wrong way. The church works when the church operates biblically. And all of us are sinners and we all mess it up sometimes. And that's where we got to give each other a whole lot of grace like the disciples gave to Peter on a very bad night 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. We need each other because, listen, in a church our size, a couple thousand people on the weekends, not counting our online campus, which is averaging over 3,000 people, we can't know everything going on with everybody. I look out over our congregation, there are things that are represented right here this morning that many of you'd have no clue of, but a few of you do, and that's the beauty of the church. There's a family right here in this service today that we've been walking with for a couple weeks over the loss of an 11-year-old son and grandson, and we love that family. Now, everybody in the church doesn't know that family, but we do, and we're walking with them, and we love you guys. 
The day I was preaching that funeral, there's another family in our church that was calling me on the phone as I was coming off of this stage, preaching that message to come to the hospital for a mother who had just a few days left on this earth. And not everybody knows this worship team member and that lost his mother who went into eternity the last few days, but God knows and many of you know who they are and you've been loving on the Copeland family, we love you. Some of you know Ebert Bowen. Ebert Bowen's been a, an amazing, faithful member of this church for several years. And, uh, but not all of you know Ebert, but Ebert went home to be with the Lord a few days ago. And his, his wife and children were in the last service this morning. And there's a group of people who's loving on them. Right now there's a two-year-old fighting a brain tumor from our church in St. Jude's Hospital. And not all of you know that family, but some of you do. And that family's getting daily texts from certain people inside this church congregation every day, checking on them, letting them know that we love them and we pray for them. And not everything's heart-wrenching like that. I got a text this week with pictures of several partners of our church who had joined the Lyft ministry and were in a family, in a home of a single parent trying to get custody of his kids and his house had to be updated and, and there are people out of this church that were working in that person's home, built, fixing their house up so they could have custody rights back with their children, making a difference, making an impact. That's the church when the church is working right. And that's just a few. And here's what I need you to know. You don't know everything going on. You don't need to. But if you get connected to 10, 12, 20 other people, you're going to know some things and you're able to minister to each other in the name of Christ. It's beautiful when the church works together. Why? Number three, write down for kingdom impact. For kingdom impact. Ecclesiastes said that we have more success together and we help each other and here's what I want you to know. We maximize our impact when we work together. How many know we can do more together than any of us can do alone? We minimize our failures when we work together. Somebody falls down, somebody's there to pick them up. When we mobilize our resources together, we make a greater impact because none of us can fix every problem alone, but together we can solve a lot of issues. The Bible says we are created uh, in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.10, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And Hebrews 10 said, we spur each other on. Somebody shout, we need each other. How many, by the way, has ever watched the Amish move a barn? You ever seen how the Amish move a barn? Look at this. I love this. That's how you move a barn. Hey, brother Clyde. Brother Clyde, you need to move that barn next week? Sure do, Brother George. How are we going to move that barn? I got 250 fellas going to show up Monday morning, 6 a.m. We'll move the barn. That's a picture of how the church should work together. Amen? It's community, and we can get things done. Now, I got to be honest with you. Um, I want to encourage you not to neglect this gathering, but I also want to encourage you to get into a cert, on a serve team or in a small group. And if every one of you right now went out in the lobby and said, all right, I need community. I need to get to know some folks. I don't need to get lost in this big crowd. I don't have enough small groups for all of you. Uh, we've grown so much this year that our discipleship group strat model just couldn't keep up. Just, for, just so you know, on average Sunday morning attendance, we've grown an average uh, from December, from December to now, 600 people. 
on average. Is that incredible or what? Like eight months. We have baptized 179 new believers in Jesus in the first eight months of this year. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. So what do we do? So we spent the last couple months working with large churches around the country, figuring out what can a new model look like. And today I'm going to introduce it to you. And here's what I want to share with you. I'm going to introduce it to you a little bit today, a little bit more next week, but there's not going to be any signups until the third week of this series on September 24th. But here's what it's kind of going to kind of look like, because we've got to get ahead of this. We've got hundreds of people that need to get connected and groups is the easiest way for us to help you get connected. And so here's what it's going to look like. This new discipleship pathway for number one, groups that can meet around the year are going to be life groups and they're message based. They go off of my sermon. So you hear the sermon this week, you go to a life group there in the middle of the week, they're going to be talking about the sermon. They're going to have a study guide created uh, curriculum that we're going to write. And they're able to take the topic and dive deeper. And so you get to go deeper in a small group. Those can go around the year and I can, I can put somebody, a new person comes to church and says, hey, I need to be in a group. Those are the groups I can put them in because they're never behind. Understand that? If you're doing a topical book study after week one, I can't put anybody in your group because they're already behind. They don't own the book. They don't know what the subject matter is. I can't put them in that group. I need a lot of message-based groups. But now I do know that there are topics people want to study. I get that. So three times a year, we're going to promote three semesters that last no more than 10 weeks that you can lead a topical group if you want to lead a topical group and we can promote it and get a lot of people to sign up for it all at the same time. In that, there's a couple of things you need to see. One thing is we're going to also create what we're calling Discipleship Academy that will run during those semesters three times a year. These are not small groups in homes. These will be larger groups here at the church where a staff member or a key leader will be teaching 50 to 100 people or so in a room. And they're kind of like seminary in a way, but it's systematic theology and they build off of each other. We start out with square one for those of you who are new Christians, and then you'll go to foundations one, foundations two, foundations three. And over the course of a year, you can learn the major doctrines of the church. Any key ministry like marriage ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry that want to do a larger gathering discipleship teaching section, that'll come under Discipleship uh, Academy. Topical groups will be in homes or businesses just like regular basic groups are. And those can be topical and be on subjects and we'll vet your material, make sure it's theologically sound. And then we'll put it in a catalog and promote it to the church and you'll see what that looks like starting next week. The big piece, the big issue that we got right now is I need so many people to say I'm willing to give my home or my business or I'm willing to lead a small group. And I made a commitment to you about a month ago that if you'll pray about leading a small group, I'll create a training that I'll personally teach you how to lead a small group this fall. Now, I'm not going to teach it every semester, but I'm going to do this fall and I'm going to train other people to teach it starting in the spring. But I'll, start, I'll teach any of you who want to lead a small group what we're talking about on what it looks like to lead a small group this fall so you can launch a group in the first of the year. So all of that's coming up. Go ahead and put the next slides up for everybody. Um, some of these descendants, we've got to do a better job of creating more apprentices so that when a group hits 16 on average, we can split that group, we can multiply and continue to add more groups for more people. 
to join. I'm also going to encourage every small group, every quarter to do a service project because it's not about just gathering to learn. It's also sending out. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. And he sent them out to preach. Go on the next page. Some of the things that you're going to see coming up in the lobby, you're about to see a new uh, discipleship wall getting ready to be built out there on the wall. And it'll have every small group that is going to follow this new system listed there with a information, a QR code. And you'll be able to walk up with your handy dandy cell phone, scan the, the group you want to be in, and it'll immediately put you in contact with that group leader so you can get signed up. That will also be on the website, the new, a new design for that on the website so the two kind of match and you can sign up online at the next steps counter or off of the wall, but get you in there quicker. And if you're interested in the training for a small group leader, if you're interested in the first section of Discipleship Academy or any topical group that we're gonna offer this fall, we're gonna have a limited option this fall and go full throttle in January those will be listed next week and you'll be able to see what they are. Registrations for all of these start on September 24th. You got two weeks to be praying and fasting about what your next step is. Amen. So here's your big takeaway. Here's what I want you to go home with today. Here's your big takeaway. Living in a real biblical community is more than attending a Bible class. It's a spiritual family, loving, caring, supporting, encouraging, and working together for Christ over, what's the next two words? A lifetime. A lifetime. This is what Jesus did with the disciples, and this is what I pray for you. Somebody shout, we need each other for a lifetime.